Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Bowden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is more ridiculous at cricket. Is it England or is it Australia? And the series we are about halfway through now is the 2013 Ashes. Yes. Uh, So the way it works, uh, each Ridiculous Ashes series, we go through the tests one by one and highlight the ridiculous moments uh, that are produced by each side. The most ridiculous moment of the test, uh, we give three points and then two points to the second most ridiculous moment and a point to the third most ridiculous. Most points wins the match, but obviously that breakdown of points means we get draws as well. Um, To quickly give some sort of definition of ridiculous, I do that every now and again, uh, it can mean a really good piece of cricket, but more commonly it's just something really unusual or most Mm. commonly of all just something outright bad. Uh, That seems to be like the breakdown of it. Australia dominated the second test uh, with some Shane Watson LBW review nonsense and a rogue that decision suck test tweet from the Cricket Australia account. They took the top two spots in some order or other uh, and Graham Swan wrongly dismissing Chris Rogers LBW with a really really filthy full bunger uh, got a consolation point for England. Uh, So uh, we're moving on to Manchester and the third test. What happened in that test, Dan? Alright, so in non-ridiculous terms, uh, Australia won the toss and batted and Michael Clarke was uh, leading from the front with a dominant Australian batting performance. He scored 187. Chris Rogers, Steve Smith, Brad Haddon and improbably Mitchell Stark all made half centuries on the way to 527 for seven declared. Uh, In reply, England's innings was dominated by Kevin Peterson's century but he was out for 113 and at that point England were 280 for seven and still at some risk of not making the follow-on mark, but uh, Stuart Broad and Matt Pryor uh, got them past that mark early on the fourth day, and England finished 159 behind on the first innings. Uh, There was rain predicted for the final day, however, which meant Australia came out and attempted to score some quick runs, eventually declaring overnight at 172 for seven, which meant on the final day, England were chasing a notional 332. They were pretty swiftly 27 for three, and uh, could have been panic stations except for the rain sweeping in, ensuring both a draw and England's retention of the ashes yes uh, do you uh, do you want to go first yeah i'll go first for this one because my mind begins with the toss more or less or the, or the swapping of the team sheets because my first nomination is the return of david warner who is uh, back from South Africa where he was exiled after punching Joe Root in a, in both uh, his head and a bar. Um, <laughs> so David Warner is back. He was batting at uh, six in the first innings, number six in the in the lineup, which was the first time in his test career that he did not open for Australia. And the other, the other time that he didn't open uh, came a little bit later, and this was against South Africa in 2016, where he had to bat at three because uh, he was off the field and uh, when Australia were fielding, and uh, Faf was captured 
captaining for South Africa and he noticed that Dave Warner had been off the ground for sufficiently long that if uh, South Africa declared, then uh, Warner wouldn't be permitted to open. He'd have to wait out his, his time and have to come in you know, whenever time came out. So instead, Usman Khawaja opened and I think Khawaja got a century, uh, 145 odd uh, opening, but uh, Warner went back to opening after that again. So they're the two times. Yeah, it feels a bit unfair that Faf wasn't rewarded for that, it seems. Uh, Clark-esque funky captaincy. It was very funky. It was very impressive in the moment. Why is he declaring now? He's declaring because he's just going to annoy David Warner, which is something we can all get behind, right? <laughs> yeah, I think pretty much everybody's behind that, except for maybe Warn Dog. So Watson and Rogers remain the, the two openers. Yeah, I mean, that seems quite ridiculous in itself. <laughs> it does a little bit. Particularly as, a, well, I know Shane Watson opened for quite a long period, but it just feels like you've got an all-rounder, you're going to open with him, you've got an opener, you're going to stick him at six. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. That didn't really deter David Warner. He, he did prove that he kind of fitted right in with the vibe of the entire series so far. Uh, he pretty much started by being booed onto the ground, which was uh, so- something that we kind of take take for granted these days, uh, a little bit of hindsight corner there. Hindsight but uh, corner. in those days, it was, it was a bit novel, right? Yeah, I, uh, I watched in the footage, I initially thought they were booing Smith off because I wasn't in the sort of headspace of the time. Uh, but Smith Smith wasn't really getting boos at this point. It was, uh, it was all for Warner coming in. No, I had to wait till 2019 for that. But he came out and he, he managed to edge a ball to the w- wicket keeper that the wicket keeper didn't take and instead deflected to slip and then truly embracing the spirit of the series David Warner stood his ground uh, he, he was given out uh, but he reviewed it and then he was uh, still given out which I, I, I feel is a little bit unlucky given uh, the first couple of tests. <laughs> uh, can I give you a quote here? Yeah. Yeah Warner reviewed that and yeah, at the close of play Michael Clark said he backed Warner's decision 100% <laughs> uh, but this is the way that uh, Michael Clark backed Warner 100% he said he started let's just say we disagreed <laughs> But in saying that, I did say to Davey that I would back his judgment 100%. He was confident he didn't hit it, so it was worth a look. And I've said before, I think that's the way DRS should be used. I think if the batter feels that he didn't hit the ball, then his partner should back his judgment. Mm. So the implication here is that you can 100% back his judgment in the moment and then completely yep. retract that at the close of play <laughs> and, and highlight how you thought he was wrong all along. I think it was a masterful piece of 100% backing from Michael it, Clark. It was, yeah, uh, real, really good stuff there from Michael Clark with that 100% backing um yeah I, I do like the uh, like the this policy that australia were going with that if the batter feels that he didn't hit the ball then his partner should back his judgment and that, that's worked out pretty well for australia so far in this series right <laughs> yeah pretty good <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh so yeah so that was david warner uh out to to um a, a caught behind decision in the first innings that he didn't walk for of course uh in the second innings he was he's back at the top of the order so um his his brief uh stint at number six uh, came to an end. He, he Sadly, he wasn't opening with uh, Shane Watson, which I think would have been a very fun partnership, particularly after um, his brother's comments about Shane Watson in the previous test, uh, Ooh, the yeah. Warn Dogs comments. Uh, instead, uh, Dave Warner was at the top with Chris Rogers, who they, they batted together for quite a while after this. And, and perhaps uh, like the, the, the final element of this David Warner nomination is that he was eventually dismissed in the second innings and he was caught by Joe Root, which I think is just like the perfect little capper to his return yeah. to the side. Uh, that seemed an inevitable really and yes. as as he went off it was there was more booing but initially it was it was rooting 
it, yes. it was rude. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of segued into booing. I thought it was very efficient, all-purpose noise making from <laughs> Manchester crowd. Yeah. Good work, Manchester. Okay. Uh, well, I'll I'll move into my first nomination, which is uh, Alistair Cook's use of part-time bowlers, <laughs> which could be uh, could have been nominated uh, on an, in a number of tests, but uh, this is a particularly good example. So Australia's innings was 146 overs long, uh, and Alistair Cook used his four frontline bowlers, which is Anderson, Broad, uh, Brishnan, and Swan, for 141 of those <laughs> overs, which seems quite gratuitous. So Graham Swan bowled 43 overs, uh, Brishnan bowled 32, and the two opening bowlers both got through 33 overs. Um, so, you know, there were part-timers available. Swan took five of the seven wickets that fell, but Cook still felt that there was that was enough spin, uh, and he only <laughs> used Joe Root for four overs, uh, mm-hmm. and Jonathan Trott bowled the other one. Um, in the second innings, he then used the same four bowls for all 36 overs of Australia's second innings, and just underlining like Alistair Cook's use of, of bowlers. The next test started later the same week, and England picked Anderson, Broad, <laughs> President, and Swan for it. <laughs> Ah, uh, good stuff. I mean, they're, they're just bowlers, right? So, yeah, work them to the bone, I, I say. Good good on you, Alistair Cook. That's what they're there for. Just <laughs> yeah, chuck absolutely. them down, let them let keep going. Two, 200 overs in a test, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, I mean, I don't, I, the irony is Cook himself, one of the great part-time bowlers, one for seven in test oh, yeah. cricket. Could have brought yes, himself he... on for an over, but uh, I don't know whether that played into the way he managed uh, he managed people who'd bowled a little bit. And, and this was kind of a hallmark of Cook's captaincy, right? I, I'm not imagining that. No, I think so. I mean... He, he was like a. Oh, I've already mentioned the cliche about Clark's funky captaincy. I think uh, Cook was like an almost willfully unfunky captain, <laughs> whatever the opposite of funk is. Like yes. Cold play or something. Yeah. Easy listening. <laughs> He's, yes. Or like um, lift music. Yes. Actually, I can be a little bit of funk to that. <laughs> uh, I'll move on to my second nomination then. Uh, my second nomination is uh, probably inevitably given the state of the series so far. It's another review. This time it's Usman Kawaja's uh, review, which is. A pretty good one. Uh, Usman Kawaja was given out, caught behind uh, in the first innings, and he immediately reviewed. He was very adamant that he did not hit that. And uh, this was more or less confirmed by Hotspot. Uh, Hotspot said, nope, nothing on there. Uh, But the third umpire gave him out anyway. So (laughs) Usman wasn't particularly happy by that, particularly since uh, Snicko came out a little bit later and said, no, nothing on Snicko either. So a little bit annoying for Usman Kawaja to be given out. And kind of uh, Australians everywhere were pretty much annoyed. Uh, Brett Lee kind of led the charge. He he made the quite astonishing claim that, quote, you could drive a car through the gap between Kawaja's bat and the ball. <laughs> I, I imagine such behaviour would upset the match referee, right? Yeah, that's only... That's only allowed after sort of one day internationals in India when the man of the match is sort of over rewarded with some kind of vehicle. He's a yes. motorbike, I think. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but it wasn't just Brett Lee, of course. Uh, Australian Prime Minister of the moment, Kevin Rudd, he was uh, watching the match and he popped onto Twitter and he said he didn't like the decision either. He thought it was disgraceful. I, I always like it when Prime Ministers come out on test matches because what they say gets picked up and it's, it's invariably a really banal, average fan kind of thing that they say. Um, so there's this huge contrast between. Like, like I say, it's published in all the newspapers because it's the prime minister saying it. But yep. there's this huge contrast between the office that they hold and the level of insight that they offer. <laughs> yeah, I like that sort of tension. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, prime ministers maybe should just chill out a bit. We don't really need your opinion. I suppose Imran Khan would be one of the exceptions <laughs> yes. where he might have something. I mean, I know he's not currently, uh, he's not uh, Prime Minister anymore. Not as uh, we record this, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but uh, on occasions when he was Prime Minister, I'm sure he would have 
Europe has uh, some degree of insight to offer about cricket. Yes. Yes, he, he may be the only one. Anyway, but I, I did some further research because I, I did notice that, uh, you know, they, they did pop up the snicker on this Usman Khawaja decision, but they didn't pop it up straight away. So this reminded me that there was a time before uh, what we now know as real-time snicker, and this was, you know, <laughs> belated time snicker, I guess. <laughs> uh, this was back in the days where the technology wasn't sufficient to get Snicko aligned with the footage quickly enough for, to be used in DRS. So what was happening you know, back in 2013, the olden days, uh, was that if an edge uh, had been given out and there was a sound just generally in the, you know, in the stump microphone in the general vicinity of when the ball passed the edge, then they pretty much decided that hotspot was irrelevant uh, when it came to overturning an out decision. So if there, if, there, if there was a mark on the hotspot, then that could get a not out converted into an out. But if an absence of a mark on hotspot wasn't considered enough to convert an out into a not out. So it was a very confusing time. So it's no wonder that everybody was getting all riled up about this. Because pretty much the only way to overturn a court behind prior to real-time snicker was for there to be no sound on the stump mic. So the umpire just imagined it. And also no mark on the hotspot. Um, and that's basically what doomed Kawaja here. There, were, there was no mark on the hotspot, but there was some random sound on the stump mic. And that's why he was out. That's why Agar was out in the previous test and why later on in this one uh, Peterson was out so I, I, I kind of find it ridiculous that they were re- reviewing any court behinds given this uh, framework that they were working in yeah the the level they would have to hit it's absolutely dizzying <laughs> trying to like get your head around what is needed to constitute a howler <laughs> yes <laughs> this whole whole point is surely that a howler is so so obvious but uh, <laughs> like you get into the minutiae of it and it's an absolute nightmare yep yep uh, um yeah, I don't suppose. Are you nominating Kawaja's second innings dismissal in a minute? I'm not. It's just just the first no. innings. Why was there something in the second innings? Well, it's not really yeah relevant to this dismissal, but Kawaja had a great second innings dismissal as well. He was he was bowled behind his legs by Swan from round the wicket and wide on the crease. And I was just watching it, and it was it was really full as well. He just utterly <laughs> defied physics. This dismissal. Oh, good work from Graham Swan then. So yeah, so, yeah uh, Kawaja should have done the old Mike Gatting shake of the head kind of thing. He should have really, really <laughs> should leaned have. into it. it. Yeah, it could have been his moment. Yeah. Right, I'll go into my next nomination, which is sort of review related as well. As, <laughs> yes. as so many are in this series. Yeah, it's, it's, um, kind of, it's kind of the theme of the series, right? Yeah. Uh, mine is Tim Brezhnev caught off his trousers. <laughs> mm. um, so Tim Brezhnev was given out, caught behind, uh, and undenied about reviewing, and then just walked off. And then yep. replays showed that the ball came off his trousers. He didn't <laughs> at all. Um, at the close of play, Graham Swan said, uh, Bresnan thought he'd hit it. He heard a little noise and assumed it was an edge, and so he walked. So oh. it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> a great example of that myth that a batter always knows when he's hit it because, um, yeah, Bresnan had it. It just hit his trousers. Yeah. I, I feel like in the first two tests, Australia really dominated with the ridiculous reviewing and non-reviewing. And this was kind of the first time that England was starting to strike back with a, with a, a fair bit of silly DRS of their own in this in this particular test. Yeah. In this case, a decline, a refusal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, Bresnan uh, was batting up the order, right? He was the night watchman again. Uh, he'd come yeah. in ahead of Trot. That's right, yeah. yeah. But he didn't survive the night. No, he was no. out caught trousers. Yes. Uh, and uh, basically, Trot came in after Brisbane's wicket. And the, the, this is what I particularly like. Trot came in and he, on the last over of the day, he tried to run Cook out. He called for this <laughs> insane quick single that would have uh, run his captain out. So that, that probably explains why uh, Cook had Brisbane coming in as the <laughs> night watchman, right? Yeah. All right, my next nomination is uh, Michael Clark's declaring. 
So uh, this is Michael Clark, as we mentioned, funky captain. He lo- loved the opportunity to declare. He, he particularly liked declaring when people didn't expect it. I don't think he yeah. quite managed that in this test. I think these were, you know, for Michael Clark anyway, kind of predictable declarations. But they were still two two declarations in the one test, which is always a good thing. Yeah. So the, in the in the first innings, he he waited until Mitchell Stark, who came in at wherever he came in, number eight. Uh, Mitchell Stark hit sixty six off seventy one balls, and pretty much the instant he overtook Brad. Haddon, who ended on 65, not out off 99 balls. Uh, Michael Clark decided, all right, that's enough. That's getting silly now that Mitchell <laughs> Stark has outscored Haddon. So he declared the instant uh, that happened. So that was 527 for seven. I, I can't think of any other reason why he would choose that particular moment to declare. No. <laughs> There's no milestone. It's just the milestone is uh, Mitchell Stark overtaking Brad Haddon. Um, I, I hope they discuss that beforehand. Uh, Mitch, as soon as you overtake Haddon, that's it. It's very much the, uh, the Spanish Inquisition school of declaration. Yes. Clark. yes. It feels like all Michael Clark did. I mean, he wasn't a captain of an especially good team, but it feels like all he ever did was just declare innings. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how often Australia got to that point, but it feels like he did. I mean, he had two in this test match, so I think maybe they just, did they oscillate between making little runs and just getting skittled? I, I, th- I think even, even when they were skittled, he, he was the kind of captain who'd go, all right, we're nine down, we're not going to get much from these last couple of batters, and then we'll, we'll just chuck them in and see what happens, because uh, this pitcher's obviously doing something. Oh yeah, we'll try and cram in a declaration there maybe he did like more than his fair share of declarations then yeah i, I think he did I, I think he i think he got more yeah definitely more than his fair share a real taste for them yes <laughs> and he, he definitely uh in the in the second innings here uh they, they were batting for the declaration because england were a long way behind on the first innings and uh he was kind of a little bit uh frustrated by the umpires deciding that they would take the players off for bad light this was you know as, as the fourth day was coming towards an end dark clouds were rolling in and it got a bit gloomy and the, the lights were on of course but that doesn't that never stops the umpires from <laughs> taking them off and uh clark got really annoyed with this he uh, had a you know an argument with them you know uh, always a good look when the captain's just standing there berating the umpires <laughs> he, he, he had a little bit of a point he basically i think he was saying look i've got to run a ball 30 here and i'm i'm quite okay <laughs> with yeah. this uh but the umpires are not not they weren't convinced by his argument so they they were taken off and about half an hour later that started bucketing down so it may be that he had some unimaginable funkiness like plotted. Yes. And he was being denied by this sort of unexpected development. So he was probably just frustrated that that had uh, got the better of his plans, of his funky plans. Yes. So he ended up having to, you know, angrily declare overnight, uh, <laughs> which, which is probably not as much fun for Michael Clark. Although I do like to think that he, he phoned the umpires up at 3 a.m. to let them know, to, no, I'm <laughs> declaring now. <laughs> I reckon he probably did. He's, yeah. he's a contrast with Cook as well in that regard. A Cook would never knowingly, prematurely declare. He would be a million ahead <laughs> with like a, a few overs just before the close of play on day four. He was going to declare that no matter how many runs he was ahead. Yeah. Um, right. I'll move into my final nomination. And we're actually going to have to go back in time a little bit because from the first innings. Um, and it's Stuart Broad walking. Um 
I've heard this is so, impossible. Shortly after saving the follow-on, uh, broad edge line to Haddin, and it was a real feather, like barely discernible. And then he just immediately whirled around, <laughs> stuck his bat under his arm, and walked off. Context <laughs> is everything here. This is um, this is obviously after he failed to walk in the first test after edging to first slip by the keeper. Um, so that's kind of set the the standard for what he, how he's going to behave in this series. And any other batter, you think maybe they'd been shamed into walking. <laughs> by the fallout from that first innings, but I, uh, you don't think that was broad at all. He, it seems more likely he just had his like innate unconscious ability to understand what would be the most annoying thing to do in this situation, <laughs> and just immediately did it without thought. It's just something that he like breathing. Yeah, you know, he thought if yeah. I do this, this is gonna go the Australians. Well, he didn't think that. He just knew. He just fundamentally yeah. knew this was the most outrageous course of action. Completely intuitive. He he just knows exactly. Exactly what to do like he can he can in in retrospect he can rationalize why why it would be annoying but he didn't have to think it through rationally he no just, no just not. it's just yeah. an impulse yes uh, it was it was it's a beautiful callback piece of ridiculousness one, one he didn't get credit for from the courier mail later in the year i noticed uh they, they <laughs> say oh that's fine he's evened that out um <laughs> I, I, I did go. I've been going back through my tweets of the time because I do have a, a record of what I was thinking in the moment, and I'm discovering that this is very much where my appreciation of Broad began. This uh, this particular series, I, I yeah. think it was after the non-walk in the first test that I that I first embraced him as a comic character. I think uh, prior to that, I hadn't paid much attention to him, and I think in the moment of that non-walk, I was I was not not enraged exactly, but kind of just going along with the you know the disdain of of the moment. And it was only after that moment that I was like, actually, that's pretty funny. Really, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, so yeah. By by this stage, I'd fully embraced the the broad being this comic comic hero, and then this just uh, j- just another feather in his cap. I think uh, a literal feather behind in his cap. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I've nothing else to add to that. I don't know. If it just it's such a, a well. It's not a simple one in that it, yeah. It's the, he set the he set the scene with yeah. a such a wonderful moment in itself, and then he's just uh, he's kind of filling it out over yeah. time with like new additions. Yeah. Fantastic. A, a, a beautiful callback. A new chapter in the series of Will or Won't Stuart Broadwalk. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do we have any unnominated moments? Uh, I have a couple. Um... Well, I'll tell you one I nearly nominated. I'll go. I'll give this one first because it's my biggest one. Yep. It's the ashes technically being retained while it was raining. Yes. Because uh, it was such a monumental anticlimax, which it often is when the ashes is decided. Um, we forget this because of the moments when you know a stump's knocked out of the ground and that's it, the match is won or such and such a thing. But the 2005 Ashes is the most exciting <laughs> of all the series. It was the umpires walking out and lifting the bales off because again, it was no, there was actually no play when the series was decided. And this yeah. was the same. So on the highlights, Mark Nicholas ran through all the details of the match score. You know, ran through the bowling card and everyone had gone and like who was looking good and who might be dropped for the next match. And then almost as an afterthought, went it also. <laughs> means that England retained the ashes. <laughs> you know, it's just a thing that just a byproduct of what had been going on. It's very hard the these days, right? Yeah. And at the moment it was confirmed, the England players, you know, because, you know, they're not on the field of play, so they mm. just came out on the balcony and clapped whoever was still out there in the rain, just kind of desperately hoping. I don't know who would even still be there. Yeah, because, uh, like, the, the rain started, like, 20 overs in or something, so they've been there for multiple hours. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> so, so there'd been no play for hours, and the prospect of play was diminishing. So that I don't know at what point they finally decided, no, that's it. But it would be fairly late, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, they would they would always uh, allow a bit of time for like a clatter of wickets. So uh, anybody who was, you know, it's just a handful of people, probably like groundsmen out there, and the England players came. England players came out on the balcony and sort of clapped them like that was the moment of uh, celebration. And yes. then in the post-match interview, Alistair Cook made it sound like the well, understandably made it sound like the thing in the world returning the well uh, the actual retention of the Ashes is probably quite exciting but I think it get in the this environment uh, <laughs> he said uh, uh, when I when I get back to the dressing room I'm sure the lads will be enjoying it you know just like I don't know I don't I, it felt like nobody really was I've got a uh, unnominated moment I, I particularly liked uh, Steve Smith's run out in the second innings this is uh, during the declaration batting where everything was very frantic and as many runs as possible were trying to be scored as quickly as possible so Steve Smith decided he was going to run three. Uh, it was the only kind of downside of that was that Michael Clark had settled for just the single. So <laughs> Steve Smith had come back. Uh, he'd run pretty much all the way back down to Michael Clark's end. Michael Clark held up the hand as he's, he's right as a captain. And Steve Smith turned around and completed his third run. Well, almost completed it because he was you know, a foot out of his ground as he was run out. So uh, a good effort, though, from Steve Smith. Yeah, he did the proper uh, slamming on the brakes like he. <laughs> skidding uh, like a cartoon character as well didn't it yeah, yeah it was a really good cartoon cartoon about turn I, I was a little bit disappointed because uh, this was this was a very familiar uh, Smith because uh, I, I've kind of mocked him in the first couple of uh, tests of this series but this uh, this was the kind of thing that would uh, become very familiar in future Ashes series a uh, bit of hindsight, hindsight corner here corner. Yeah, there were a couple of lofted off drives down the ground and it, they, they just kind of stunk of utter contempt for the bowling he just smashed them he made 89 in the first innings as well he was uh yeah he was uh looking very scary uh or we, yeah we, we probably didn't appreciate at the time how scary that would but after you know a couple of consecutive ashes series of this kind of behavior this this looked very familiar no i absolutely agree with that i i clocked one of those off drives as well and looking back at it now and you know it's steve smith it was off <laughs> one of the quicks i'm not sure it was off they might be off president uh, but um yeah it, it was it was a kind of shot that had no right to be perfectly perfectly driven at exactly the correct angle to just sort of like i think it was a six yeah um just absolutely dead well yeah it was it was quite the shot and i think at the time you thought oh i didn't know he had that in his locker but now <laughs> you think oh here's evidence of why he's such a good bat yeah uh, I've got another one. I've got uh, Nathan Lyon returning to the side, which uh, which was kind of nice. Uh, I mean, they, they did get rid of Ashton Agar, which meant that uh, Australia's top run scorer for the series uh, was gone. <laughs> uh, but uh, they brought Nathan Lyon in and then didn't let him bat at any point, which is a little bit sad for Nathan Lyon, I think. That's quite ridiculous in itself, though. Was mm. this the series of Jeff, his mystery ball? Uh, yes, I, I've forgotten about Jeff. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think Jeff is with us anymore. But yeah, I, th- I think oh. this is where he's talking up. He must have spoken to Warney before the series and said, what I do here and Warney just told him I'll just make up a mystery ball and uh, <laughs> Nathan Lyon decided he'd name it and then uh, didn't get to play in the first two tests which is a bit sad he should have named it Ashton maybe yeah the late lamented Jeff alright time for the votes then uh, uh, quite a tricky one what, what do you think is your strongest one I think my strongest is the return of David Warner I, I love the way that he's after two tests out because of being <laughs> David Warner because of being um, <laughs> he, he returns and he just slots straight back in uh, and know, continues the, being David Warner, <laughs> continues being David Warner, but playing cricket, so that's a yeah. that's a good thing. So I I, I think David Warner is my strongest one. Yeah, the, his return in itself is something. Even before he he sort of swans into bat at six, and then he's, his, his twin dismissals. Yes. Uh, 
reviewing after hitting it and uh, getting caught by, by Rude. Rude. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that is strong. Uh, yeah. And then we, I reckon we've got three dismissals we can sort of, we need to sort of shuffle into some sort of order. We've got Kawaja's mm. review, mm-hmm. Bresnan's non-review, <laughs> and Broad giving himself out, yep. which of which I have a preference and I don't know if you agree. Oh, I, 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 think, I think Stuart Broad's callback, I mean, that, that, that's world-class stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Broad, Kawaja, Bresnan out of that. I, I think the Kawaja being done in and still reviewing despite the you know what we've now determined is a case where you should never review any of these edges behind you should just take it on the chin yeah i suppose that was a case against prison although i yeah i feel like you should know if you've been hitting the trousers and not the bat (laughs) you should yeah (laughs) yes Yes. it's just it was weird watching him because he sort of discusses it with the non-striker and it's almost like we now know that he thought he hadn't hit it but it's almost like they're saying should i use a review and they're saying no save it like just totally forgetting that if it was um, vindicated they would keep holding they would it keep and it, they yeah. would still be batting yeah. it was almost like they just assume it would just be frittered away yes um, I, I, I do enjoy this early era of kind of naive uh, DRSing it's, a, it's, a, it's very charming it's so innocent <laughs> and then the remainder we've got uh, Clark's funky captaincy and Cook's resolutely unfunky captaincy yes. yep. uh, pitted against each other well I, um, I, I'm going to put forth that I, I think Stuart Broad's callback walk is uh, is the, is a three pointer. I think that's easily easily the strongest one of the, of the nominations. It's easy to overlook because it's not as probably not as good as his walking in a previous one. Yeah, it's kind of built. It's standing on the shoulders of that one. I yes, think. it is. You got to give it a bit of credit for that. You that's do. Kind of yeah, what yeah, pays into it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, that's, that's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Uh, so I, I I would vote three points for that one, and I assume you're not going to argue with that. No, I'm not going to argue. I would never argue with Stuart Broad getting three points in a ridiculous Ashes test. Yes. I don't think. I mean, I do argue against myself quite consistently, so <laughs> never say never. We're, we're not very I, good at standing up for our own teams, <laughs> I think we've discovered as we go along here. We're, we're poor patriots. Um, but ha- having said that, I, I will uh, stand up for David Warner as the two-point nomination. I, th- I think that's very strong. Just, just a combined body of work in his return to the Ashes. I think it's very good. Well, okay. Well, it might be redundant if I can get the one point. Yes. Uh, otherwise, I might end up arguing that with you. So, as a as a one pointer, I of all those uh, Quadges review, Bresnan's non review, I'm tempted by the Cook captaincy because it it seems so emblematic of the way he went about things to just drive drive the bowlers into the ground in the face of all evidence. And you know, Australia was sort of 500 for nothing, and he was like, well. <laughs> This Better isn't working. Better just carry on exactly as we are, <laughs> not try anything different. That is true. That that, that is that is very Alistair Cook. The I, sheer uh... pig-headedness of it. <laughs> it's just sort of basically like two days of batting to never at any point in two days of failing to get anyone out think to try something different. Yeah, I think you've won me over there. I, 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 that that <laughs> is a uh, pretty good stuff there from Alistair Cook. I and I, I think we've had plenty of reviews in this series and non-reviews. I I, I think I'm quite. Happy happy to move on to a little bit of variety here and i think yeah. uh, i think i think alistair cook's uh pig-headedness is better than michael clark because this isn't even michael clark's funkiest pair of declarations in his career <laughs> I, I think 
Yeah, yeah. This is just Michael Clark being Michael Clark, low level Michael Clark. I think because this is you know pretty top tier uh, Alastair Cook. I think it's almost it's almost hard to notice because it's so like 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 his batting so protracted and <laughs> relentless. Um, I'd love to know the circumstances between the five overs he did give to part timers and whether mm. you know there was a bowler off the ground or something. Probably, but yeah. More likely, he just wanted to somehow even up the other bowlers to make sure they all had 32 or 33 overs and you know wanted everything to be nice and neat and orderly I don't know I yeah. don't know what the situation is so Stuart Broad 3 David Warner 2 Alastair Cook 1 right yeah I'm half arguing that I, I want to give Cook two points, but it doesn't matter because the, the crucial detail is that with, with two those two nominations, including the top nomination, England have taken the test match. And and I would have needlessly uh, fought for David Warner getting the two points, even though, as you mentioned, it, it doesn't make <laughs> a of difference to the result. This isn't like in in online, if we were online, I think if we were in social media, we would have a sort of day-long debate about this. Yes. I mean, that's where you're supposed to go about things, I believe. Yeah, we'll... we'll uh, we'll do that for our patreons um <laughs> anyway uh i think that wraps it up then so thank you for listening you can uh check out alex's website that's kingcricket.co.uk mine is liebcricket.com you can follow us on twitter at ridiculous ashes at the king's tweets and at liebcricket follow all three of us that, that'd be good um and if you enjoyed this episode and want to support us with uh money uh then alex is at patreon.com slash kingcricket i'm at patreon.com slash liebcricket and uh we may get on or we may not and uh, argue with one another about whether David Warner was more ridiculous than Alastair Cook in this particular <laughs> test. Uh, only one way to find out, that's to sign up to both those Patreons. Otherwise, we will be back in a week with our coverage of the fourth test of the 2013 Ridiculous Ashes and we will see you then. Really? Sports Social Podcast Network.